Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, attorney Kim Hegwood of Your Legacy Legal Care and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest today is Mary Nichols with Texas Caregivers for Compromise. Good morning. Hi. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about advocating the rights of long-term care residents because this is really important to a lot of my clients um, you know, because they their loved ones in the nursing home and they're you know there's problems they don't know what to do and so so I'm super excited to have you on today. And I'm so, so glad to be here. So let's talk really quick about um, how and why the Texas Caregivers for Compromise was formed. You know, we came together out of necessity. We we really didn't plan this. Um, the pandemic happened and our loved ones were uh, isolated in long-term care facilities. It was done out of safety. Uh, but as it turns out in their attempt to keep long-term care residents safe, the people that they were trying to protect them from were us. Uh, we were, family members were actually treated kind of as the disease and, um, that's how we looked at it anyway. Uh, meanwhile, you had contractors going in and vendors going in and nurses that were going from facility to facility because of the staffing shortage. Uh, they were bringing in disease. And so the, the actual people who were needing to go in and help protect them from abuse and neglect were the ones that were being kept out. So uh, we actually banded together out of necessity um, we didn't really plan it this way. It wasn't something anyone sat down and said, Hey, let's do this. Uh, I started a petition, um, an online petition in June. And then by July, we still weren't allowed in facilities. And so we came together as a group originally on Facebook and we still use Facebook as a main way to communicate and just kind of went from there. Uh, the petition by mid-July had like 10,000 Texan names and another several hundred out-of-state names. By the time we finished the petition in September, we had over 25,000 Texans signing for um, what we had petitioned the government for, which was um, essential family caregivers. And when we actually got it in the emergency guidelines, they removed the word family so that it could be any person that that uh, resident chose to have access to. So, and that was actually a good move. I, I'm really happy about that. And um, we actually, as a group, wound up uh, introducing that essential caregiver concept to the state of Texas. So wasn't anything we really set out and planned, but it turned out for the best. Yeah, it was really, really important. So for so many clients, and and I know that um, early in the pandemic, you know, we we lost some clients, and um, yeah. and they were in the nursing homes where the nurses were going back and forth between them, you know, so that you know, infecting a lot of people by accident, and so. So now that the you know now that we've basically said the pandemic is over, and um, what are you fighting for now? What's the goals? Well, we still have visitation issues. I know it's hard for people to realize that we do still have facilities that um, prevent visitation. Now, here in Texas, we have more protections than any other state. Uh, we started, like I said, with the uh, emergency visitation guidelines, and then we worked to get those guidelines put into statute. 
And then we got those uh, very same guidelines put into our state constitution. We are the only state in this country uh, that has um, where long-term care residents have a right to an essential caregiver. That is their constitutional right. It is the 35th amendment um, to the Texas Bill of Rights. A long-term care resident has a right to an essential caregiver. And in nursing homes, um, that's a 24-7 right anyway. Assisted faci living facilities don't have that right, but they do in Texas now. Um, other states don't have that at all. But even though Texas has all these protections, um, other states don't always have that. And in fact, no other state has that in their constitution except Texas. I know Florida is going to be working on that their next session. Um, so, but we do still have facilities who, now that they've had three years of this kind of autonomous authority to shut down visitation when they feel like it's legitimate. And I do feel like a lot of these facilities are doing this with, with really good intentions. Um, they don't have the right to do that. And I don't think all of them understand where that authority comes from, particularly those smaller facilities, those mom and pop facilities. They don't understand where that authority came from. So they think that they're entitled to it. But we've had facilities that have shut down for uh, flu infections and outbreaks of scabies and just all kinds of, of things, mold under the sink, water main breaks, um, broken air conditioners. Well, we're going to temporarily halt visitation because uh, right now it's really inconvenient because of something going on. We're having carpet replaced or floor stained or I don't know, lots of different things. Just a, a real lack of education. I think Texas Health and Human Services has tried really, really hard to educate facilities. But, uh, you know, if they're not uh, participating in the webinars and that sort of thing, then it's really hard to do that. So we're still working on that. But having accomplished a lot of our original goal, we are able to now work on a lot of other things that we see that are affecting the health, welfare and um, rights of long term care residents. So we have been able to work on promoting legislation and opposing legislation that we feel like hurts our long term care residents. So a lot of people don't know about ombudsman. You know, Tell our listeners why they're so important. I didn't even know what an ombudsman was until the pandemic. You don't know what one was unless you don't need one. And uh, actually, I didn't realize that I had actually used ombudsman in another facility that my mom was in, but I didn't know that's what she was. So I didn't even know what that word was. And it's really a big, scary word. I mean, you know, what's the word of that guy on a, a ship, the that guy that's kind of like the, the authoritarian guy on a ship. But an ombudsman is such a really kind of terrifying word sometimes if you've never been involved in local government and you're like, well, I don't want to call that person. That's scary. But an ombudsman is actually a resident's advocate and it is a person who, uh, they're volunteers as well, but they are really allowed to do some things in facilities that, that we might not as family members be allowed to do. They have access to things we don't have access to. Uh, we should have access to, but we actually don't even have the knowledge to know that we have access to those things. Um, so the ombudsman is an advocate, a residence advocate. They advocate for residents only. They do not support the facilities. They are there for the resident. And what they do is they are able to find out some of the cause and effects of certain things that are um, harming residents. They're able to resolve issues. They're able to mediate problems to kind of keep the peace. 
particularly when we as family members have heightened emotions and are unable to do this without maybe losing our tempers or bursting into tears or um, they, they really are there um, as, as mediators and problem solvers. And, and they're also there to help protect those residents from abuse and neglect. They protect um, by federal law um, the, the health, welfare, safety, and rights of residents. So those ombudsmen are very, very important. And during the pandemic, when even hospice nurses and attorneys were not allowed in facilities, the ombudsmen were still allowed in there. And, and that was really, really important uh, to our residents because when nobody else could get in, the ombudsman could still get in. So the ombudsman are extremely important and uh, we're really grateful to what they can do uh, for our family members. When, when uh, my mom, uh, during the pandemic, 202 days, I went without seeing her. Um, it took, it took about, I don't know, 90 of those before I got so hopping mad that I started our group and, and, you know, really started working for some positive change. But after 202 days, my tiny little mom had gained 40 pounds. Wow. Well, yeah. And I got back in there. And I'm like, what is going on with her? And everyone's going, oh, must be congestive heart failure. Holy smoke. Let's get her to a hospital. And the ombudsman's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let me take a look at a few things. And she accessed the um, vendor records, which is not something I would have ever thought about doing. She took a look at the vendor records. My mom was on a peg tube. She was able to find out that not only had they changed vendors during that 202 days, but she had gone from a drip to a different kind of, they were using a can to feed her through her peg tube instead of a drip. So her calorie content had quadrupled um, during the day. And so her health was really adversely affected because being bed bound, she was never able to shed those calories. That, that weight was permanent on her heart, on her lungs. Uh, the projectile vomiting never stopped. Um, the um, aspiration pneumonia was an ongoing thing because that fluid had nowhere to go. So where everybody else thought it's congestive heart failure during a pandemic, let's get her in the hospital. The ombuds was like, whoa, that's dangerous. Let's, let's try and find out what the solution is before we take that dramatic step. So that ombudsman was incredibly important to my mom. She's very important to other people where they've had, you know, bed bug outbreaks. And she's like, when's the last time this facility was exterminated? And she goes and looks to see the vendor records. And, you know, a facility says, oh, we exterminated two weeks ago. And she finds out from the vendor records they hadn't exterminated in a year. Um, lots of things like um, the types of food that, uh, family member is worried that their loved one is getting or they might be allergic to something or um, they're getting a food that they dislike. So they stop eating. Oh, well, that's normal for their age. They stop eating at this age. Well, it turns out they're getting food that they just flat don't like. And it is normal for them to stop eating. But there are a lot of solutions that an ombudsman can find um, just because they've got that experience and they've been around these um residents for such a long time, they get to know them, they get to know habits, they, they learn to identify certain things. And facilities learn to identify those as well, but they're short staffed. And we have so many visiting CNAs and so many visiting nurses that they are losing that, um, that 
one-on-one -on -one patient knowledge that they used to have, where a CNA would know their patients so well that when there was a change, they would be able to identify that. Well, then when you removed the family member and the family member wasn't there to identify that either, there was no one left but the ombudsman to be able to do that. And thank God those ombudsmen were still out in the facility. So they're incredibly, incredibly important. And so is your organization uh, only run by volunteers? We're only volunteers. We're, we're not only only volunteers, we're just family members. We're not even, we don't know anything. We're just, we, we don't know anything. We, we're just people with loved ones in long-term care facilities, just kind of rocking on best we can. And, you know, when we see something, we, we, we try to address it. Um, we don't know how to go to Austin. We don't know how to, we're not lobbyists. We're not attorneys. And in fact, we specifically, when we created the group, uh, we had some family members that were like, let's hire some lobbyists. No, no, no. I think our strength is in that we are constituents. We don't want that. Plus, there was no legislature in session. Who are we going to lobby? Um, <laughs> really? Um, we did have some people in our group that were like, we want to we want to hire an attorney and we want to sue, sue Governor Abbott. Uh, well, you go on with your bad self. But we're not going to do that as a group because then once you're involved in a litigation, we lose the ability to communicate with them because now this is your litigant. And we didn't want to do that. And thank God we were not involved in that because we were able to open up some communication with the governor's office as constituents. Um, and we were able to get that essential caregiver petition on his desk. Now, granted, I had to go to the post office twice a week for about six weeks, but I did get that petition. We printed that thing twice a week for six weeks. Have you ever seen the Green Mile? Uh, no. Well, uh, was, no, it was Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank. Okay. Yeah, so no. there's a character in there that's uh, writing letters to the governor because he wants books in the prison library. And he's writing two letters a week. And the governor's office gets so frustrated that he sends him like $200 in a box of books. And he says, okay, now we consider this matter closed. And one character says to the other one, well, what are you going to do? You know, he's tired of you writing a letter to him every week. And he goes, well, I'm going to start writing two letters a week. So uh, when we were doing this whole pandemic thing, I was sending a petition to the governor's office every single week. And I got a letter from the governor's office saying, you know, we appreciate your, your communication, but you really need to be communicating with HHSC, which we were doing at that time. We were also sending them our essential caregiver petition. And my brother laughed. He goes, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I'm going to send him two petitions a week. So <laughs> we did. We started sending him two petitions a week. And, um, and, and it did open up that communication with the governor's office. So uh, had we been involved with attorneys, we just would not have had that communication because we'd have been litigants. So uh, we, there were some people who didn't really approve of the way we did things, but um, you know, we're, we have good communication with Texas Health and Human Services. They consider us family stakeholders because we are family. Um, and uh, they do invite us to participate in some things like we were able to participate in a review of the Texas Administrative Code rules for assisted living facilities. And that was a, a long several month review of things. So uh, we are invited to participate in some things like that as family stakeholders. So even though we don't know much, um, we we do know how to be family members so that's there you go yeah and, uh, so so what can volunteers do to help 
Um, the best thing I can do is just keep up with our website and our Facebook page. Now on the website, we have a blog. It's not really a blog as, you know, like someone sits there and talks about things. It's more like kind of a bulletin board where, you know, we kind of keep up with what we're doing. And our Facebook page is the other place. Um, and, and both of them are pretty current. The Facebook page is actually very, very current. Um, and our Facebook page is not like other Facebook pages where people just get on and talk about whatever. It's really very, very clean. It's very, very focused. Uh, there is no facility bashing. We do not do that. That is not allowed. Whatever hurts long-term care facilities hurts our family members. So that is not permitted at all. If you've got a grievance with your facility, you need to go through your ombudsman. We don't, we don't allow that. Um, we, we do have uh, information about webinars, um, information uh, about other things like through National Consumer Voice, if there's something there that we think might help, um, if there's any kind of uh, information that we think might be helpful for uh, residents that we want families to know about, we'll do that. Uh, any kind of national information going on, we'll put that on there. But it's it's basically about educating and informing our families and our residents, and then also making sure that we ask them if there's uh, something we think the group needs to do, we will throw that out to the group um, and, and get their opinion. Now, seriously, if, if you've never been involved in the group and you just jump on the page and want to run your mouth about something, your opinion really doesn't matter too much. But if you've been um, participating and inputting and helping us out with things, then obviously your, your opinion matters a whole lot. Uh, our group is really amazing, just really amazing. Like, you know, on the one-year anniversary of the lockdown, uh, I have crazy ideas, you know? I don't know. I have really crazy ideas. So uh, we had done this traveling sign thing, and it was really really well received. The, the the media followed us around this day, gave us great news coverage wherever these signs went. And uh, our national um, advocacy groups copied us and we had it done in like 17 other states. They used our exact signs, our isolation kills two bright yellow signs, uh, but we had already done it. So we our 17 other states were like, okay, on the anniversary, we're all going to do these signs. Well, I know we started it and we should probably do it, but we've already done that. And the media is not going to care because they've already done that. What can we do? I was like, traveling signs. How about the biggest traveling sign you've ever seen? Let's hire a plane. So, so I threw it out to the group. Um, hey, y'all, how crazy is this? And um, it would require quite a bit of money. So uh, me and uh, one of our other people on our leadership team, I threw it out to her. I was like, do you think this is nuts? Do you think they're going to put me in a loony bin or something? Uh, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Do you think we can raise it? And she goes, you know what? Let's just ask. So I threw it out to the group. Overwhelming support. One or two people were like, you know what, Mary? I don't know. And I said, all right, tell me your concerns. Let me, let me know what you think. She goes, I just think we can't raise the money. It's like, okay, that's a valid concern. Let's see what we, let's see what we can do. So the concerns that were brought up, some of the other members said, let's see how we can address that. And um, really the only concerns brought up were just things that, you know, we could address. So darned if we didn't hire a plane and fly the biggest sign there was around the Capitol on the anniversary of the lockdown, which was March 13th of 2021. We flew it around the Capitol because they were also considering our statute, our legislation, 
for um, the essential caregiver that was Senate Bill 25. So it really helped us to sell that statute at that time. So we didn't want to do the regular yard signs traveling around the state because we'd already done that. But um, the group was really supportive. And so that's how we, you know, got the input from the group. And they raised that $7,000 we had to we had to get for that sign. They raised it in like three weeks. Um, so when we did the original traveling signs and I, I said, hey, what do you think of this idea? One week. Actually, yeah, one week. It was a Sunday. I asked, uh, I texted a friend once, what do you think of this idea? She goes, let's do it. We'll start it on my property. Um, threw the idea out to the group. They said, great idea. Let's do it. We raised the money for the signs. We only needed like $1,000, raised the money, ordered the signs. The signs were in my living room at the end of that week. The idea was on a, on a Sunday, threw it out to the group on a Monday, ordered the signs by Wednesday. They were in my living room by Friday. <laughs> that Friday, we had group members come pick up the signs, write names on the signs, because those signs, we put the names of loved ones in the facility or who had died in the facility during the pandemic brought those signs all back to me by Sunday and Monday they were in the ground. So from the Sunday that I threw out the idea to the following Monday, which was August 31st, my mother's birthday, they were in the ground. And that's how fast our group works. We don't sit around and think about things. We just do it. And these people are amazing. I, they don't dilly dally around. They had loved ones in facilities. They had loved ones who had died in facilities. We don't have a board that thinks about things and tables it and puts it on for the next week. And, well, let's think about it or, or, or let's talk about it. Oh, I have concerns. Well, you know, let's let's do a subcommittee. We don't do any of that nonsense. We are not incorporate. We are just families that want to get stuff done. That's all we are. So, Mary, if somebody wants to volunteer, how do they find you? Just email me and say, put me to work. And if we have no work to do right now, I've got a list. I've got an I've got a spreadsheet of people who want something to do. And a lot of people are senior adults already. I'm 60 years old. Some of them are 72 years old and mama is 96. And there's not a lot they can do, but they can email, they can write letters, they can phone call their legislators. Um, some of them are like, there's nothing I can do. Can I donate? Well, we don't need any money right now, but I'll call you when we have something that needs money. So I just have a list of people that are willing to do something. And uh, when we need something, I just pull up our little spreadsheet of people who say they want to do something. So they can just email me and tell me, put me on your list. I'm willing to work. So, Mary, what's the website for our listeners? Um, it is www.texascaregiversforcompromise.com. And the email address? Um, that is texascaregiversforcompromise at yahoo.com. Perfect. Mary, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's good information for our listeners and families that are having definitely having the problems uh, with with the facilities that they're in and they know they've got someplace to go for help. Well, thank you for having me because this has been just one of the one of the greatest blessings of my life. Never thought it would be, you know, <laughs> what I thought was one of the hardest things that ever happened to me has just really been one of the greatest things. I've got 3,100 of the just greatest warriors I've ever met in my life. Perfect. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcasts as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.